Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Matt, the do-over guy, and this is your do-over, episode 25. During an era where countless people, businesses, and organizations are feeling the pinch, running out of time, running out of money, losing confidence, feeling as if life is unfair, praying for another chance, and unless something is done, life is going to pass them by. Fortunately, in the nick of time, there is now a place where the ignored, underestimated, and unknown steps to producing results and making life work are revealed. Save your career, save your business, save your health, save your relationships, save your life. Get from where you are to where you want to be faster and with greater ease than you ever thought possible. Say hello to your do-over. Welcome to your do-over. We're back officially. iTunes, God bless them, finally gave me the thumbs up. I'm coming to you live once again from downtown Los Angeles. And this is the place where I show people who want more out of life, people dissatisfied with their current situation, how to start over and begin a new life, setting goals and objectives so they can create wealth and live life to the fullest. You can jumpstart your do-over and lay a solid foundation for a better life by downloading the three pillars of creating the ultimate do-over for free at freedoover.com. It's a 55-minute MP3 audio program that I made just for you with three specific steps on how to get success as you start over. The three pillars of creating the ultimate do-over will put the legs under your table. They will lay the foundation for you to achieve. They will act as your traveling success coach, and they are yours for free at freedoover.com. Exciting times here at the Your Do-Over podcast, specifically this past week, and, and only because of you. You know, the absence from iTunes, it appears it hasn't cost the show a thing. I mean, within 24 hours of appearing on iTunes, once they finally approved me and put me back on, the show hit top 10 for new and noteworthy in the health category, and number four for the self-help category. And within 48 hours, I mean, just two days, the show was number one in both of those categories for new and noteworthy and actually broke top 20 for the health category overall. In fact, it was number 15 this morning. And that's above podcasts that have been running for years, podcasts with hundreds and hundreds of reviews and ratings. And and that would not have happened if it weren't for you downloading the new shows and posting your comments and ratings for the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I have to tell you, this past weekend was somewhat of an emotional experience for me. You know, when I set out to produce this podcast, 
I had set out to make a podcast that I had always wished somebody else would make. Somebody in the world of personal development, I always wanted someone to make something like this. Something that I would want to hear. Something that I would want to download. I mean, something with no hype. Something very real. I mean, God, no hype, no fluff, please. And I just wanted to create the type of podcast that, you know, I would download and listen to myself. I just wanted the meat, no filler. And in fact, that's the entire essence of the do-over guy. I'm just a regular guy that's implementing what he has read over the last 20 years, what he has heard, what he has learned, and produces greater results than if he hadn't. I mean, a real guy that walks the talk. I mean, I never understood why that was such a difficult person to find. So I decided to become that person. I wrote a book about it. I started a blog about it and then started this podcast show about it. And this weekend was a very touching moment for me to know that there are others out there like me that feel like me, that were looking for the same type of thing that I was looking for. And I can just tell by your comments. I mean, you've touched the points in your comments of exactly what I set out to do. For example, Rob, he logged into iTunes and left me a comment and rating. Thank you so much, Rob. And he wrote, excellent content. This is the first podcast I've ever reviewed on iTunes, even though I listen to many. I can feel myself growing each time I listen, both helpful info and inspirational. I love Matt's style as he is not annoying, not cheesy, not dry, and very personable. I hope he sticks with it for a long time. Well, th thanks, Rob, because that was my intention. It was not to be annoying. It was not to be cheesy. I didn't want to be dry, of course. And I wanted to make this feel like, you know, I'm, I'm your friend, so to speak, and this and I'm not unreachable, I'm not unapproachable. As most of you know that have sent me emails, you've gotten responses from me. I take this very personally, I want this to be a two-way interaction. And you're getting that, it's coming through, and that makes me feel really good that you're recognizing it, and then you're commenting about it. Another comment that I got over the weekend from Rick in St. Louis, just the headline says it alone, I won't even read the comment, just his headline, motivation without the BS. I feel you, Rick. I've been through a lot of motivational programs, a lot of motivational seminars, and heard a lot of speakers, and you know, I just, you got it. I wanted to be motivation without the BS. So thank you for recognizing, thank you for acknowledging, thank you for your comment. And then Don from Virginia wrote, this is now one of my favorites. Matt has been successful, crashed, and is working his way back up. His podcast is honest without a lot of hype and self-promotion. It's like I'm sitting across the table from a good friend who has taken the time to help me along. Thanks, Matt, for the podcast. Don, you're so welcome. And I'm glad you feel that way because that's what I set out to accomplish. And that's why it was an emotional weekend for me. Because what I set out to do, what I had envisioned, and what I had made a commitment to, and then actually took action on, it's coming true. And I owe 100% of it to you. So thank you so much. And the interest and anticipation for my real estate investing podcast has been overwhelming as well. You know, I received a huge number of emails during the downtime about the real estate investing podcast. And, and so, you know, I'm going to take the same approach as I'm taking with this. I'll be the guy that walks the talk. I'll teach and share from personal experiences, particularly personal experiences that I'm currently experiencing in today's market. What you won't hear is a bunch of hype and fluff. In fact, I have a little bit of a pet peeve with that specific industry, the industry of real estate investing education or real estate investing information. And you're actually likely to hear a bit of a different side of me on that show. I promise to keep it real and in some respects, painfully real. I'll probably make some enemies of my peers. I'll probably limit my audience as well, particularly the people looking for quick and easy success. They're not going to like me too much and they'll just have to continue to opt in for the other shows and programs promising overnight results. That's okay with me though. Some people just have to learn for themselves. Actually, most people have to learn for themselves. And as long as you actually learn, I don't see anything wrong with that. But a wiser approach is to learn from those that have been there before. And that's what that show is going to be about. 
So thank you for your interest. I'm actively working on that show and a free real estate investing course of which I'll be giving away on that show. It's taken a little longer than I expected, but I want this to be worth your time and anything worth doing, it's worth doing right. So I'm taking my time with that. I will let you know via this show when it's up and running. And at the effort and attention I'm currently giving that show, it shouldn't be too much longer. Now during the downtime, as I mentioned, I received a bunch of emails of which really turned out to be a blessing. I loved corresponding with everybody. And if you haven't heard back from me yet, you will, okay, I promise. I've got an inbox full of emails and I'm gonna get to you. Now the emails I received, there were a good number of them addressing their concerns around finances and their concerns around wealth creation. I had a lot of questions from past episodes and what did you mean by this? What did you mean by that? And, and I received this email from Shannon and Shannon writes, Hey Matt, I downloaded a bunch of your podcasts before the switchover and I'm listening to episode eight on creating wealth. I was nodding along and totally digging what you had to say, but I had a problem with the part where you spoke about buying a car. A poor person saves up and buys their car in cash and a wealthy person finds alternative methods to fund his purchase. I was kind of alarmed at first, but I get your point. On a scale of smart ways to buy a car from worst to least, excuse me, from worst to best, it would be bad, go into debt to buy a car you can't pay for and work enough to get by. Good, pay for it in cash and without debt, even though it depreciates. And great, find ways to make money off of the purchase and fund it alternatively. My question is, I currently know how to save to buy pretty well. I write and read a lot of blogs and to rally against people going into debt to buy things. I'm coming to realize that avoiding debt and living frugally is only one piece of the puzzle. It's not enough to avoid debt, you have to cultivate wealth. When you spoke about the wealthy person using alternative methods to fund the car purchase, I felt kind of lost. I want to learn to think like that. I want to be aware of alternatives and innovative ways to pay for things and accumulate wealth, but I have no way to start. Can you recommend any books for newbies to this kind of thinking to start finding ways to build wealth? I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I need more tools, basics, so I can start to identify money-making opportunities and investments, etc. You recommended four books, including Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but can you recommend some others in addition to that? I felt as I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad that his ideas made sense, but I guess I struggled in knowing where to start. I'm in grad school now, and I feel like I don't know enough about financial institutions, financial advisors, etc., to really know what to look for or where to begin. I'd like to think like a rich person, but I don't know much beyond Roths and basic real estate. I want to learn more. I'm going to get a hold of the books you recommended, but if you know of any more, perhaps some like Money for Dummies, ha ha ha, I'd love to hear it. I am so new to the game that I get lost. Thanks again, and I'm sorry to hear that iTunes is still slacking. When the podcasts are reposted, I'll be promoting it since I love it so much. Thanks. In gratitude, Shannon. Well, obviously, she wrote this during the downtime, and we're back up, so iTunes is no longer slacking, in my opinion. So thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon, for your email, and I've already responded to you personally, but I wanted to also respond via the show, as I'm assuming or presuming that you're not the only one that has had these types of thoughts. And I'm glad you eventually got what I was saying. It was clear that you got it. And one thing I just warned people about is don't confuse going into debt with responsible leverage. And where I learned this was from primarily one person's books, Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad series, and another's educational program of which I paid over $20,000 to participate. Initially, it was a big chunk of cash for me, and I was a bit hesitant on spending it, but in hindsight, it was the best thing I ever did. I mean, here are the invaluable lessons that I learned. And I mean, if I had learned this my senior year in high school, my life would have turned out quite differently. In fact, I think if they taught this in, in this, your senior year in high school, this world might look quite different. It looks this country for sure. 
Now, I'm fairly confident I wouldn't have had the need for a do-over had I learned this. And once you understand these lessons, most of what I discuss about money will make perfect sense for you. So four empowering lessons. The first lesson is knowing the difference between an employee and a business owner, and specifically how they are treated by the government. Did you know that 50 to 55% of your lifetime's income is going to go to taxes? It's going to go to federal tax. It's going to go to state tax, property tax, um, sales tax. Did I say that already? Sales tax, I don't know, cigarette tax, uh, all kinds of tax, even the taxes on your, on your soda cans. And the difference between how an employee is treated and a business owner is treated, an employee first goes to work for their money, then Uncle Sam comes in and takes out their portion for their taxes, and the employee gets to keep and spend what's left over. Now, the business owner, they go to work for their money, they get to spend their money, they get to pay themselves first, and then they pay their taxes on what's left. Two very different end results if you look at the bottom line. And when you're watching politics or you hear the rhetoric or the complaints about how the rich don't pay taxes, it's because they've just figured out the tax code. It's not necessarily that they have, they have to pay less taxes. It's that they've structured their life in which they don't have to pay the same taxes the employees pay in the same taxes that the middle class pays, the same taxes that the poor pays. They just, the, the laws are universal. They apply to everybody. And if you structure your life in a certain way, you can receive those same types of benefits. That's a biggie right there, no, noticing the difference between an employee and a business owner. And you can actually be both. You can be an employee at your current job and have a side business. And through that side business, you can take those tax deductions. You can take advantage of the tax codes that benefit the rich. And not only will you benefit like the rich do inside of your business, in many ways, check with your accountant. I'm not a CPA. This is not tax advice, but check with them. And many times you can keep more of the money that you're making as an employee as well. So that's lesson number one, the difference between an employee and a business owner. Lesson number two is knowing the difference between an asset and a liability. Now, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket, like rental real estate or a business, a business where there's a system in place that gen- and it generates money. A liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. Something that takes money out of your pocket would be financing your next vacation, financing your dinners through credit cards, your meals, your nights out on the town, financing jet skis or motorboats, or even financing your luxury cars. Assets put money in your pocket. Liabilities take money out. That's in its simplest form. So, Shan, I know that you are talking about things that are going over your head. Keep it really basic. And you can identify an asset and a liability just by asking, does this put money in my pocket or does it take money out? Now, one of the distinctions that Robert Kiyosaki points out is that poor people and the middle class spend most of their money on liabilities, things that take money out of their pocket. And he even points out not just the middle class, but you can be upper class. You can be a doctor or a lawyer and make a lot of money and still spend your money on liabilities, still spending money on on the jet skis, on the vacations, on the weekend getaways, putting those on credit cards, and then getting up every morning and going to work to pay for those credit card payments. And that's how most of us spend our money. I know when I was in the music business, I mean, there were times where I had high six figures in my bank account and I spent that money on liabilities. Had I known this, My life would have looked very differently. That's what I mean by if I'd have been taught this my senior year in high school, there probably would have been no need for a do-over for myself. So that's how most people spend the money. They spend on liabilities. Now the wealthy, they spend most of their money on assets, things that put money in their pockets. And then they let their assets pay for their liabilities. 
So they don't get up in the morning and go to work because they got to make the car payment. They don't get up and go to work in the morning because they got to pay their credit cards. They get up and go to work in the morning to find more assets that affords them to enjoy more of life's quote unquote liabilities, life's luxuries. So that's lesson number two, knowing the difference between an asset and a liability. The third lesson, and I learned this directly from Robert Kiyosaki, is what he calls the cash flow quadrant, and it's how we earn money. And he divided this quadrant into four categories. I guess that's why they call it a quadrant, because it's four sections. E is one category, the top left, stands for employee, where you go to work, you exchange time for dollars. That's how most of us were raised. Go to school, get good grades, go to college, graduate, and go get a good job to go become an employee. The second quadrant is the S quadrant, lower left-hand corner, stands for self-employed, also exchanging time for dollars. Now, the earning potential of self-employed can oftentimes be higher because you're getting also paid for a specialized knowledge. But employed, self-employed, what they both have in common is no work, no pay. Now, the upper right-hand corner of the quadrant is the B quadrant, stands for business owner. And that's when you have a system that goes to work for your money. You're not exchanging time for dollars. That business works with or without you. See, a lot of people get confused. They think they're business owners. But here's the test. If you think you're a business owner right now, ask yourself, if I were to take a six-month vacation, would my business still be running? Would it still be in sound condition? Would it still be in the same condition as when I left? If your answer is yes, you're a business owner. Congratulations. If your answer is no, you're a self-employed person. See, I, when I had my record label, I had months of forty dollars and $50,000. It wasn't uncommon for me to get six-figure months. But if I left that business for six months, it would have completely crashed. It would not have ran without me. So I didn't own a record business. I was just a very highly paid, self-employed person. So that's the difference. The business is going to run with you or without you. Now, the I quadrant, the lower right-hand corner, stands for investor. So that's when your money goes to work for you. I mean, if they would have told me that in high school, I would have done everything I could to get over the right-hand side of the quadrant to be the business owner, to be the investor. But that specific business owner that has a system that works for them, whether they are there or not. Now, 90% of the world's population is on the left-hand side of the quadrant, categorized as an employee or self-employed. But the profound part of that is that only 10% of the world's wealth is on that side. It's still possible to become wealthy as an employee or a self-employed person, but only 10% of our wealthy did it that way. 90% of our wealth is on the right-hand side of the quadrant. It belongs to the business owners and the investors. 90%, and conversely, only 10% of the population is over there. So that's lesson number three, to understand how cash flows in the world and how we as individuals earn money. Number four is the new definition of wealth. And this wasn't really a lesson, but it's something that I came to the conclusion of. And just as we were, most of us were raised to go to school and get good grades and go out and get the job, we were also raised that what a wealthy person was was someone that had a lot of money, a lot of cash. And that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily, I mean, it certainly works. And there's some people that are able to do that. And they are definitely categorized as wealthy. But by just having a certain amount of cash in the bank, it has an expiration date. It's just a matter of debits and credits. Now, you might have enough money, or a wealthy person out there might have enough money to last in their lifetime, but this new definition of wealth is that money replenishes itself, and we can reduce that down to if you take an account of your expenses. 
say your expenses are $5,000 a month and you have passive income coming through to you through either a business or an investment of say $2,500 a month. So you can pay half of your expenses through that passive income. You'd be categorized as 15 days rich, meaning you can get through 15 days of the month without working. It would pay for half your expenses. So to get to actual wealthy status where your expenses are covered by your passive income, you can take two routes. You can decrease your expenses or you can increase your passive income. Either way, you do both, you get there a lot faster. That's why I'm such a big advocate of passive income because you can go out and try and make a million, 10 million, a hundred million dollars. That's a really difficult feat. But if you can go out and create enough passive income to exceed your expenses, you are wealthy. Once you hit that 30-day wealth, you're categorized as wealthy. You don't have to work. For me, wealth is just time freedom. Being able to get up and go do whatever I want to do with whomever I want, regardless of expense. That's true wealth. By placing your focus on getting that passive income to exceed your expenses, it's a much easier path. It's a much faster path. I mean, that can be accomplished in just a couple years. I know my friend Jay, my business partner Jay, was able to accomplish that in just about three or four years. And he started out of his car. He was homeless living in his car. And in three years, he's created enough passive income to far exceed his expenses and create a very comfortable existence for his family. If we were taught that in high school, wow, what would your life look like right now? You know, the, the world or the government, or the powers that be, the man, whoever, whatever you want to call him, they have you thinking that the retirement age in America is 59 and a half or 62 or 65 or 69, 70, that it's being adjusted all of the time. But there is no retirement age. The retirement age is once you have enough money to last you the rest of your lifetime, to last you the rest of your existence here on earth. But by creating passive income, not only does it last your lifetime, it can last for generations to come. As long as it's kept in place and it's cared for, it can last your children's lifetime and your children's children's lifetime. That's why I'm such a big advocate of pursuing passive income. Now, the car example that Shannon mentioned back in, I believe it was episode eight, this is how I had proposed back then on how to put all of these different ideas, all these different lessons together. Now, if you had $30,000, you had a rich person and a poor person, and you gave them both $30,000 to go out and buy a new car. Now, the poor person, the traditional way, would go out and say, Okay, debt is bad. I'm going to take all 30000 pay cash for this car, and I won't have any payments, and I won't have a debt. The car will be paid for free and clear. I will own the car. Now, what happens to that car as soon as you drive off the lot? It depreciates 20 30 40%. But there's no debt. Now, the wealthy person, they might go out and buy a piece of passive income, like a rental property, for example. Say, take $30,000, put it on a rental property somewhere in the Midwest. That's what I would do. And that $30,000 will generate anywhere from $400, $500, $600 of passive income. And then I'd go lease that car and use that $400 to $600 to lease probably even a nicer car than what the $30,000 could have purchased. So not only am I driving a nicer car, I actually own an asset that's paying for it for me. And I'm classified as a business owner because I own a rental property. That car can also be a tax deduction. So in a sense, the government could be once the math is all done, could be paying me to drive that car. And not only driving that car, I'm driving a car 
that I otherwise might not be able to afford if I just went and took all 30 grand cash. So my quality of life is better because I'm in a nicer car. My quality of life is better because I'm not stressing getting up every morning to go and make that car, to go to work to make that car payment. And I have an asset once the car lease is done or once the car payments are through. I have something that's still putting passive income in my pocket. In the first scenario where you paid $30,000 cash, that money is gone. It's gone. In the second scenario, I still have an asset that's producing cash. So that was the example that I put out there. Now going into debt on an asset, that rental property, that returns a higher rate than what you're borrowing, say the lease or financing the car, that's what I consider responsible leverage. Let's just forget the car purchase for a second. The same would work for you on a debt that you might already have. Do you have a credit card right now that you're making payments on every single month that seemingly doesn't, doesn't appear that it's going down very much? So if you have a car, uh, credit card payment of $200, $300 a month on a high balance of where it's dollars $20,000, $30,000, rather than taking all of your money and your cash to make those payments, what about altering your thinking a little bit and purchasing an asset that would make those payments for you? For example, in my past, I was very irresponsible with credit cards. I had the Visas and the MasterCards. I had all the department stores. I mean, any credit card that was out there, I had it. And I owed Macy's approximately $10,000. Now, instead of using my cash to pay them off, I used $15,000 of my cash to purchase a rental property in Illinois, which gave me a monthly cash flow of $500 a month. Now, every month I receive a direct deposit from my property manager, and every month my online banking automatically sends a payment to Macy's. I don't even have to think about it. And once the debt is paid, I still have a cash-producing asset. Now, I still have a good amount of irresponsible debt from my irresponsible years, but in my do-over, rather than depleting myself of my cash reserves and depleting myself of cash that I earn, I purchase assets. I purchase cash-producing assets to pay them off for me. See, I don't get up and go to work to pay my bills. My assets do that for me. I get up and go to work to find more assets. And once my debts are paid, I still have assets that pay me instead of my debts. And it happens every single month. So to answer your question, Shannon, read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad again. And then follow that up with Cash Flow Quadrant. Almost everything you need to learn and everything you need to know about what I just discussed right now, it's in there. Also, you might have already listened to it, but I addressed five different ways to create passive income in episode 11 of the Your Do-Over podcast. And you might have already gotten to that point, but pay attention to episode 11. I give you a bunch of great resources and places to go on how you can start creating passive income for yourself. In real estate, I mean, real estate is probably my, my favorite form of passive income because it's an asset secured by something real, by real estate. Now, the reason to own real estate, there are a couple reasons besides cash flow. You want to own real estate for potential appreciation and you want to own real estate for tax deductions talked about how much money that you're going to pay in taxes over your lifetime, anywhere from 50 to 55% of your income. You can virtually eliminate that tax liability with just a couple of rental properties. Most Americans don't even realize that. And all of a sudden, you're, you're joining the rich and not paying taxes. Now, each and every one of you are going to have a different situation, but that general idea is available to each and every American. So contact your CPA and see how you can start putting something like that to work in your life. Now, here's another example of something I'm working on to accomplish by by the end of the year, and I'm getting really close. You see, I want to live in Malibu. And there's a three-bedroom, three-bath home in Malibu. It's 2,500 square feet, and it's for sale for $1.8 million. Now, I can't afford a $1.8 million house. 
And I'm going to have to come up with 20% down to do that, which is about 350 grand. And what that's going to result in is about a $10,000 a month payment, including my property taxes. Now, I still want to live there, but I can't afford that. That's out of my reach right at the moment. But instead, this is what I'm working on, is I can borrow the same $350,000 from someone's retirement account. And I have a few people that actually want to give it to me because right now their retirement accounts are not getting the greatest returns, 2 3 4%. And I'm offering them anywhere from 8 to 12%. And what I'll do is I'll borrow that money from their retirement account. I'm going to purchase a 27-unit multifamily in Memphis, Tennessee using that $350,000. So the money that they're going to loan me, it will be secured by real estate. It'll show up as a note in a trust deed on that particular piece of property. And that property is going to cash flow about $12,000 a month. I will then use that cash flow to rent the same Malibu property or something like it for approximately $6,000 a month. So I still get the appreciation from my real estate, my property in Memphis. I still get the tax deductions from that property in Memphis. And the cash flow pays for a house that otherwise I wouldn't be able to afford. So I've got all the benefits of owning real estate. And my quality of life is three times what my current checking account could provide for me. I absolutely believe in owning real estate. And if you're out to purchase your own house, that's fine. But categorize your own house, your personal residence. Is it an asset or a liability? Does that house put money in your pocket every month or does it take money out of your pocket every month? See, it's okay to be a property owner. It's okay to be a real estate owner. But no one says that you have to live in that property that you own. Because you can own a property that can pay for the property that you live in and probably a much nicer one at that. Now, that's a big example, but those are the type of opportunities that are available when you start looking at everything as an asset or a liability. And as Robert Kiyosaki puts it, and I've put it several times, it's really simple. And Shannon, none of this should be over your head. Liabilities take money out of your pocket. Assets put money in your pocket. Categorize everything you spend your money on from this point forward. Is this an asset or a liability that I'm about to spend money on? And you'll start to see opportunities that you'd never otherwise see. And you can ask yourself these types of questions, particularly when you categorize something as a liability. How could I turn this into an asset? Or how can I purchase an asset to pay for this for me? And I've always got my eyes and ears open for assets. So start looking and the creative juices are going to begin to flow. Assets are everywhere. And I don't know how good of a job I did on explaining that, But if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, get that and make sure you read the follow-up Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki as well. And that'll set your thinking right. That'll at least put you in the right mindset. And he explains it much better than I do. I mean, this is a a half-hour podcast. He wrote a couple books on it. So I highly recommend those. And I'll put those in the show notes. If you don't remember the title, you can just go click on them and get them from Amazon. They'll be at your house in just a few days. Okay, so that's all I've got for you today. Don't forget the contest is not over. You still have time. I'm ending the contest on May 10th. And thank you already, by the way, to Chris and John and Shannon and Karina and and Chris and Lewis and Susan, Don, Terry, Jeff, Rick, Matt, Sandy, Rob, Ray, Latasha, Jean, Sonia, and Grace. Thank you so much. You've already submitted your comments. You've already submitted your ratings. You have made such a difference for me. You have no idea. So thank you. And by the way, that's only 25 people who have participated in this contest. I mean, I'm prepared to award at least 50 people for their participation. There's still plenty of time as well as space and opportunity to win some really cool stuff. So log on to iTunes, search Your Do-Over, and place your iTunes comment and rating and send me an email to matt at the do-over-guy.com with I did it in the subject line. 
It's important that you put I did it in the subject line because that sends you to a special inbox. And it keeps all of my contest participants in one little place. It's going to make it really easy for me to distribute the prizes. So put I did it in the subject line and be sure to include your iTunes name in that email so I know who you are so I can send you a copy of Do Over and, and all of the other prizes you'll likely win as well. So don't delay though. Post your comment and rating before May 10th. Love you guys. I am Matt, the do-over guy, and I will see you next time on Your Do-Over. Thank you for tuning in to Your Do-Over, where the ignored, underestimated, and unknown steps to producing results and making life work are revealed. And remember, knowledge is potential power. Take action action on what you learned today. This is not your learn-over. It's your do-over. To view the resources referenced in today's show and to retrieve a complete show transcript, visit www.thedooverguy.com. Stay connected with Matt the Do-Over Guy Terrio on Twitter at The Do-Over Guy and on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash dooverguru. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.